And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guys, gals, and non-binary pals to another episode of All the Above. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeffrey Garrett, along with... Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. We want to quickly shout out our YouTube viewers. We appreciate y'all. Please remember to subscribe and hit that like button because we have one random person out there that's giving us a, a singular thumbs down on a lot of our videos. And I don't really know what's up with that. Jeff, what, what do you think? Well, I have a, a theory, man. Well, have a theory. that um, we have had a villain on this show for about the last year. She goes by the name of uh, Betsy DeVos. Maybe uh, you've heard of her. Betsy. And, um, you know, I have no evidence of this, mm -hmm. but I believe. We, we don't have, need evidence. It's 2018. No? That's right. Yeah. Alternative facts. We have a hater in the White House, folks, who's giving yes. us a thumbs down. <laughs> That's the only suspect I could think of. Man. But, uh, you know, in the immortal words of Taylor Swift, uh, haters going to hate, 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 but we're going to shake it off. That's, that's, that's an excellent rendition there. Um, Taylor <laughs> would be proud. Um, also, we want to shout out those of you listening to the podcast. We appreciate y'all too. We get it. It's a lot easier for a lot of folks to listen uh, rather than watch the video, especially uh, listening on your commute. We've, we've shortened up the episodes. They're about, you know, half hour ish each. And, um, you know, we hope you can knock them out in a single commute. But for this particular episode, you might want to head over to YouTube to watch it because our main segment today is something phenomenal, something that we haven't done before on this show. And um, I think it's something that you're actually going to want to see with your own eyes. Yeah, we got another good one for you today, folks. Um, we got headlines like we usually do. The most interesting commentary you're going to find online about education from actual real educators. Um, and our main segment featuring something you rarely, if ever, get to hear uh, when we're discussing education. And that's the perspective of students, right? Right. So we have a student panel. We're getting out of the studio. We're going to head down to the library. And one of our former guests, um, Nadia El-Hawari, um, a great, great segment she did with us a while back with the giant third grade portfolio. portfolio that was dope. Probably the most classic thing we've yeah. had on a show and tell. Um, Nadia is going to be back talking to the kids, bringing the perspective of our students to the great things we talk about in education. So I'm looking forward to it. You definitely don't want to miss it, so make sure you check it out. Yep, exactly. But first, we have our do now looking at recent headlines in education. All right, folks, now it's time for the do now where we take a look at recent headlines in education. Jeff, how are we doing the do now today? Well, today, Manuel, we have a roll call. We're taking attendance. We've got to find out who's roll in the class call. today. All right, so then who's, uh, who's first on roll today? Uh, first up today is Johanna Hayes. Johanna Hayes. I've heard that name before. I think that's the former Teacher of the Year. First black woman elected to Congress from the state of Connecticut. Uh, you are correct. And also Johanna Hayes is in probably the face of and uh, most powerful example of this wave of educators um, that's coming to the political process uh, leading into the 2018 midterms and, um, you know, perhaps bringing a new and kind of reinvigorated influence of educators into state houses and the halls of Congress. Right. That's dope. I remember during the teacher strikes last spring, there was a lot of talk about 
uh, teachers being so fed up with their state and uh, local governments and, and just national politics that they're running for office. And I think she exemplifies that idea of a teacher who's fed up with uh, the lack of focus and awareness on education and, and running for office and looking to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's dig a little deeper into this. I mean, the, the kind of wave that she um, exemplifies, mm. uh, the NEA, the National Education Association, uh, the nation's largest uh, teachers union, estimated that there's 1,800 educators. Now, this is educators in the, in the broadest sense. Right. So administrators, former uh, administrators, teachers, former teachers, et cetera, um, who have run just for state legislative seats uh, across the country in this election. Now, to be clear, not all 1,800 won, uh, but, you know, for sure, but right. uh, still a major influx of interest. And we have a bunch of examples across the country of folks actually getting elected and kind of coming off this, you know, sort of red for ed wave across the country. Right. And that's the interesting part, the, the red for ed part, because there was a lot of talk of a blue wave for this you know, most recent election. And uh, I wouldn't call this a red wave because that it would have a, a different implications, <laughs> but red for ed different. definitely saw some kind of wave. You know, Oklahoma alone, yeah. Oklahoma elected 16 educators to its state legislature, and these were uh, Republicans and Democrats. Nine of them were Republicans, seven of them were Democrats. There's definitely a wave of teacher activism um, showing up in, you know, in, in government. Yeah, that one is really interesting to me in particular because, uh, you know, the policy agenda that they are pushing is increased funding, uh, right. public funding for public schools, right? Which we haven't typically associated with red states or with Republicans in general. So I'm very curious to see what these Republicans do because they seem to be on a different type of being a Republican than some of our other Republicans, which which are on some whole other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that border wall whole other stuff at Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so one thing that I thought uh, was really interesting is in Arizona. So Arizona... Um, you know, we talk about Betsy a lot on this show and um, somebody out there, more, more than one person, but one prominent person um, specifically ran for office as a result of um, their what they saw in Betsy's confirmation hearings. And that person is uh, Kathy Hoffman, who at just 31 years of age um, is speech therapist in Arizona. She's the first Democrat to win the seat for state superintendent of instruction in the state of Arizona. And she, she cited those DeVos hearings as like one of her key motivations. I mean, I, I found the hearings inspiring. I mean, maybe they do need guns in schools for bears, for I mean, case, those, of, case of bear attack. What are you going to do? Yeah. It's a, a bear. And special education, what's that? Uh, just, you know, identity politics, man. Ah, identity, <laughs> identity politics, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, what's also interesting about this election is, of course, the Democrats uh, had a a big wave in the House of Representatives in particular. Um, you know, they're gonna seize the majority in the House. And although the committee chair uh, menships, chairpersonships have not been, uh, you know, determined yet, uh, they certainly, you know, will be. And there's a lot of them that seem like foregone conclusions, including the House Committee on Education and the Workforce, which uh, appears that it will be headed uh, in all likelihood by Representative Bobby Scott from Virginia. Now, Bobby Scott is interesting because he's already hinted at uh, a more strict oversight function, particularly on Betsy DeVos and the U.S. Uh, Department of Education, looking at some of the just very suspect things that have been coming out of the Department of Ed. So, you know, the changes to regulation around how campus sexual assaults are going to be uh, addressed and handled, um, the, the lax uh, oversight on for-profit and 
you know, virtual charter schools and some of these things where uh, the oversight function from Congress has really been completely absent right. for the last two years, uh, at least. And so we could see, uh, you know, really a, a push in a very different direction um, from the federal level uh, when it comes to education policy. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But this, this is certainly a very um, interesting set of developments and education, even though it wasn't like at the forefront of most folks platforms is, you know, definitely something that um, could could be uh, a newly reinvigorated topic in our national discourse and in states as well. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention a lot of local um, ballot measures calling for increased funding. A lot of those passed the, yeah. the, the city where where I work in, you know, they had a local ballot measure for, you know, sales tax increase and part of it to support uh, public schools. So there's a lot of that across the country, too. So, you know, um, a lot of these initiatives and a lot of these uh, new representatives are being, you know, uh, sworn in in the coming weeks. So, you know, we'll see what happens. And it is, definitely looks promising. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on with our roll call, Manuel. Who uh, who we got next? All right. Next on our roll is New Mexico. Mm. Actually, we might have to mark New Mexico absent, um, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. Because there are currently, according to a new report from New Mexico State University's College of Education, there are currently almost 1,200 vacancies mm. in New Mexico schools. Yeah. Almost 1,200. And that's up from uh, roughly 831 vacancies last year. And these vacancies include teachers, uh, in addition to librarians, nurses, counselors, uh, social workers, math and literacy coaches um, across the board. Jeff, what's happening uh, with these vacancies? Well, I mean, uh, this article, uh, you know, this news coming out of New Mexico certainly is pretty staggering. Um, but it's also really just emblematic of what's happening across the country, it right? Um, we've done some previous reporting on this uh, this issue of the teacher crisis. We've known about this for a long time, right? Like right. we have a critical mass of older teachers who are retiring. We have fewer younger people coming in uh, to the profession. And there's a bunch of reasons for that, right? Like there's the attractiveness of the profession. There's pay. Um, there's this sort of, you know, accountability systems that may or may not be making the job more stressful. And so I think we're seeing that play out. Um, what really kind of uh, tugged at my heartstrings a bit about this news in New Mexico that I think mm -hmm. is true in lots of places is where we look at where this is most acutely being felt. It's Albuquerque, right? right. It's Santa Fe. Um, and although we didn't see this in the articles, I wouldn't be surprised if it's also on reservations, right? right. Like it's the, it's the low-income communities, it's the communities of color where this is being most acutely felt. And what that means is kids are having substitutes right. for a year uh, in math or kids are getting classes collapsed. So instead of 25 kids in a class, you have 45 kids in a class or that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, this is hurting our most... Uh, you know, our students who are already most underserved by the system. Uh, and that that just it hurts me. Yeah. Right. That, that That's the outcome here. And, you know, there's plenty of research to show just how having a long term sub for even a few weeks can impact a student's long term uh, math achievement, English achievement. And, and, and you're right. It tends to, you know, uh, crises like this tends to affect those uh, most marginalized communities first. Um, which is, which is deeply troubling. Now, Karen Trujillo, who's the director of New Mexico State University's Alliance for the Advancement of Teaching and Learning, uh, she's quoted as saying that people are finding teaching less and less attractive as a profession, um, citing, you know, she cites low pay and more stringent teacher evaluation programs. Um, for me personally, I think back to my experience during the Great Recession, um, 2008, 2009, and, you know, three years in a row that I was 
pink slipped um, because of budget cuts. And I remember thinking, you know, something that you brought up about, um, you know, we have we have a, a generation of teachers retiring. And we don't have enough uh, younger teachers to 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 fill those spots. I remember thinking at the time with so many younger teachers being cut and being dropped for budget cuts. And I remember thinking, well, we're holding on to the more veteran teachers, which, you know, which I find fine. And we could talk about whether or not that was the right way to go um, some other time. But I remember thinking eventually when those teachers retire, there's going to be a, a major gap. And I'm sure there's reports out there. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's reports out there. If you know of any, send them my way uh, showing this, showing how the Great Recession impacted what's going on today, 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah, uh, certainly anecdotally, uh, that resonates with me very much as well. Um, and I think, you know, as, as you said, this is something that is a national, a national phenomenon. Now, maybe in a bit of good news, there are some efforts uh, in New Mexico to try to, you know, recruit and retain teachers. Um, they have this program uh, to bring uh, teachers from other countries. Yeah. Right? Uh, to, to New Mexico uh, and retired military personnel. Um, troops to teachers. Troops to teachers uh, to pursue careers in education. Now, um, New Mexico has also invested $450,000 to support and recruit uh, and retain high potential students from educator prep programs. So, you know, uh, props to New Mexico on that yeah. level for, for really trying to, uh, to address this issue. But uh, you know, I think this is a large enough problem nationally that, that we probably need a federal response as well as a state level response. Right. And, um, you know, teachers are important, folks. Like, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> know, important. I don't know what else to tell you. You want your kids <laughs> to read and think like we need right. some good teachers. If, so uh, if you, you made know. it this far into the episode and you don't believe teachers are important, yeah. I don't know what you're still doing. Uh, on our video. So, yeah, yeah. And I, I like those programs that you just mentioned, the troops, the teachers and, and bringing in, um, you know, teachers from overseas and, and supporting um, promising students that look like they might be have a future in education for them. I love all of that. I don't think it's enough to deal with this na national crisis. Like you said, some kind of federal response um, is needed. But um, I love that New Mexico is, is, is really trying hard to to find creative solutions to this. Yeah. You know, the great irony of Troops for Teachers is uh, a recent report just came out um, estimating and I think uh, responsibly but conservatively estimating that the United States has spent six trillion dollars on the war and terror uh, since 2001. OK, six, six trillion dollars on active military weaponry, uh, health care for veterans, contractors, right. all that stuff. Right. Six trillion with a T dollars. Right. That's a lot. Think, think of all that we could do in yeah. education with six trillion dollars that might be more effective than paying people to be soldiers and then incentivizing them to come be teachers. After. You are trying to I'm bring the saying. trolls out again, Jeff. I'm just You're saying, bring it on, trolls. Out. Bring it. You I'm here. To bring come them find out. me. I ain't going nowhere. I'm here. Go to him, not me. I don't. <laughs> All right. So next up. Next up. All right. Uh, last person on our list, Manuel, is uh, your boy, Tony Thurmond. My boy, T.T. Tony Thurman, tell me about him. Yeah, well, okay, so for those who don't know, first of all, because mm -hmm. uh, we're in California, this has been big news. Uh, Tony Thurman uh, has been a candidate for California State Superintendent of Public Instruction. That's essentially the like chief public school position uh, in the state, as it is in many states. And he's been running against a guy named Marshall Tuck. 
Um, Tony Thurman is a state assembly member. Uh, he's got big endorsements from, uh, from heavyweight Democrats, right? right? Kamala Harris, Barbara Lee, um, and the California Teachers Association, right? right. Um, Marshall Tuck, also a Democrat, interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, and he's got endorsements from uh, some big Obama administration officials, so Arne Duncan, and then he's got big money backing from some of the wealthy corporate donors into education, folks like Eli Broad, uh, those kind of folks, right? Um, so really close race, and uh, Tony Thurmond has been declared the winner, very, very small uh, margin, right? Um, right? So went down you know, to the, to the very end, uh, but Tony Thurman emerges as our new California State Superintendent of Instruction. Yeah, you know, and this, in a lot of ways, this race was sort of like a, a proxy battle, the scene between uh, pro-union forces and the the more uh, school choice charter uh, branch of of Ed Reform, which you know, look, as a Californian, seeing so many um, so many of the political ads from from both candidates or in support or against each candidate, you know, I really saw that a ton of money went into this race. I can't really tell you. Uh, from previous elections much about any of those races because I don't remember seeing many, you know, political ads and endorsements for previous uh, state superintendents. But this race was like all over the place. I mean, my mailbox was flooded with mailers yeah. um, from, from TV commercials. Yeah. Every Real day. negative stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tony, Tony Thurman hates children. Marshall, Marshall Tuck, the teachers voted no confidence. Like, apparently, right. these are the two worst human beings on the face like, of the terrible. earth. And I don't know why we want them to be anywhere right. near the schools if you believe all the ads. Either right. of them, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, from, from afar, if you, you know, just looking at either candidate, one, you know, like you said, Tony Thurman, an assembly member with union backing um, and you look at Tuck then you know uh, at Harvard MBA spent some time working on Wall Street and spent some time working for a really really large charter organization so so that alone so as a proxy battle between sort of uh, traditional um, union forces and the the perhaps for-profit or at least open school choice uh, forces you know Diane Ravitch who's you know criticized charters immensely um, was very very excited to see uh, Tony, Tony Thurman, when she she tweeted in like all caps about his victory, um, which I think goes to show, you know, she's not, um, you know, it's it's not so much just about California. It's about this larger battle between unions, especially in the you know post Janus era and school choice. And this is an ongoing battle. Both were Democrats, like you mentioned, but that does not mean they're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I, what I find really interesting about this story, Manuel, is that they're both Democrats. They're not all that far apart on a lot of the big policy questions, mm -hmm. right? Um, but what is radically different, both about this election and both about them, is how money has influenced this process, right? Yeah. So this has, uh, by all accounts, become the most expensive statewide education uh, election in history. So over, well over $50 million uh, spent on this campaign. Now, of course, most of that is independent expenditures, but let's be real. Our political system is essentially legalized corruption and bribery, right? right? So these independent expenditures coming from corporate folks and billionaires or coming from the unions are definitely being given with the assumption that there'll be a return on investment right, uh, when these folks are in office. And so from my perspective, uh, even though we're talking about, you know, a Democrat either way, even though we're talking about folks who are, you know, neither of whom are like the real privatizer wing of, of education, uh, at the end of the day, this really highlights to me some of the big problems with money and politics in general, 
right? Because how can the public have faith in candidates when so much money is being pumped into the election? Um, I'll be transparent about my own perspective on this. Like, I find union money to be less problematic than corporate money, but I definitely still find it to be problematic. I don't want a candidate who is uh, beholden to a union any more than I want a candidate who is beholden to, you know, Walmart, right? right? Um, and I'm not saying that's, you know, those two statements are quite so simple for Thurmond and Tuck, right? But um, the question uh, kind of still remains, right? But this much money being pumped into this election, what does it mean about these candidates being beholden to interest right. versus being beholden to an agenda and a constituency that, that voted them in? Yeah, you know, we'll see. I mean, uh, Tony will be taking his oath of office uh, really soon if he hasn't already. And, you know, we'll, we'll We'll see what the, the outcome is for California, and then we'll see, you know, in, in a few years um, what the outcome is for other states and other races, you know, across the nation. So, yeah. All right, folks, that's it for today's Do Now. And next up, we have, as promised, a very, very special segment that you're going to want to see the video of this. So if you're listening on the go, I mean, thank you, and remember to hit that follow button. But you'll probably want to head over to YouTube as soon as you can um, or go to our website, aotashow.com to watch video of these amazing students speak their truth about their educational experiences. Hi, uh, now it's time for today's seminar. As you can see, I am not Jeff and I am not Rustin. My name is Nadia Ahuari. You may recognize me from another episode um, where I talked about challenging white supremacy within curriculums, within schools. Here I am again. Uh, moderating a really, really powerful discussion with some really dope high school seniors. Many of us educators and policymakers have so much to say around schools and education, but it's so essential to have students' voices at the center of these topics and the centers of, of these issues. Um, with that, let's begin with some intros. Um, if you can just start off. Hi, I'm Leela. I'm Reggie. Hi, I'm Emily. I'm Trey. I'm Brandon. Hi, I'm Kelsey. So, I know this is a real, real touchy subject, um, working in schools. I definitely see a lot of my young women and my young boys talk about dress code. So, how do y'all feel about the dress codes at your school and the dress, um, dress code policies in general? Um, I feel like, I feel like they ban like irrelevant clothing items. Like the first excuse, the reason why they ban like tube tops and do rags is cause like the reason was to be professional. But then again, it's kind of like limiting the students' creativity and then the stigma around do-rags itself. Like, Terry, do you want to go into that? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, for do-rags, um, nowadays it's more of like a fashion statement. And nowadays it's to keep hair, like, nice. It's to keep my hair nice. Or like people that are just trying to do stuff with their hair. Can we do a wave check right now? No. Do a wave, no, wave check. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Y'all should do it. Um, basically. But, like, back then, it used to be, like, seen as a gang thing, so it's not really that. But it's not no more. Yeah. It's fashion. Like, you got, there's different types of do-rags. There's a whole bunch of different colors. And a lot of people express themselves with them, with do-rags and the way they colors. And a lot of people have different colors, and they want to show you cut. they want to colors. But then our schools want to ban do-rags because of things of the past. But, like, it's the future now, so, like, we should move past that. Yeah. And getting more into, like, the like more serious topic how um clothing for um females i don't think there's that like they ban so much but for males there's really nothing banned 
And it's like, it's just our do-rags, and that's not even like something all males wear. All girls can really wear two tops, short shorts, but it's like, they say it's for a professional state, but like not everybody's trying to go into a professional like like job or like work a nine to five, work uh, like in a cubicle and all that stuff, so. Yeah, and then like also for, like with the dress code, like for girls, like they say that we can't wear tube tops or crop tops. We can't even wear spaghetti strap tank tops because it shows our shoulders. And personally, I feel like if they, they're putting those bands on our clothes because they don't want us to act as a distraction. And as much as they try to argue and say like, no, it's so we can prepare you for professionalism, it's not because like there's, they're not really keeping up with the trends. There's like a huge trend going on now for like women to actually go forth with body positivity. So a lot of girls aren't even wearing bras anymore with some of their articles of clothing. And like for me personally, when I didn't wear a bra with a shirt, I had a male administrator, a male administrator, pull me aside and say, uh, say like, oh well, Lila, I don't have a problem with what you're wearing, but there's a bunch of boys who keep coming up to me today and kept saying like, oh, like, do you see what she's wearing? Like, oh my gosh, like, do you see her chest? And it's like, why are you sexualizing my body? What what I choose to wear, you shouldn't really be that focused on, like. And half of you don't even know my name. So look me in my eyes when you talk to me and don't look down at my chest when we're having a conversation. Um, I, the way I look at it is just like, you know, historically, education was for men. You know, you didn't really have women come in these spaces, these scholastic, these scholastic settings, um, especially with wearing what they wanted to wear. You know, they always had, they always had, you know, these barriers of what they had to wear to conform, or not conform, but to not be a distraction to men. So um, I just believe that's problematic in the sense of, you know, you're basically objectifying a woman in a space where she needs to be able to learn to. Yeah, and it's like, instead of like, always pushing women to like cover up so then like male students could be able to focus in school. It's like, well, why don't you teach male students to not view women so like sexually or don't view them as like an object? Like, why don't you teach them to control themselves rather than having women having to like hide their bodies and feel kind of ashamed? Because mm -hmm. it's also like perpetuation of rape culture that in our society, because like we're kids right now and although you're telling us right now, we're going to grow up to be adults, we're going to grow up to be parents, we're going to grow up to be like other, you're going to replace like the next generation. And for us to be told that, that's not really teaching us the right ways. Like I know school is just meant for like education and just like you know just straight educated, but we need to be taught how to be better people as well. And um, yeah, and I think too on that like also we have to start weighing out our options. Like, are, is my crop top like if I'm a young person, is my crop top really taken away from what I'm learning? Mm -hmm. um, and how is that? What what are what are the priorities in that way? So yeah. I definitely hear those those concerns like those are definitely valid and it's been a problem for like a while so i feel like we should uh, like attend to it like men and boys always want to sexualize females but they never really want to change and i feel like times now people are more about body positive and like people should change like like i'm talking to a woman i just look her dead in her eyes like that's it i just take her for her and not about how her body looks and if, like, if she feels comfortable or if that person feels comfortable doing what they're doing, wearing what they're wearing, they shouldn't have to change. They shouldn't be 
said like, oh no, like you're too distracting. Like you have to go change. You have to go put on PE clothes because that's what they used to. Uh, some schools used to do. They used to say, oh no, you're wearing too short shorts. You have to go put on like PE clothes. That's that's not acceptable. And, and some females could take it as a different way. Like, oh, if if like you're wearing something and then someone tells you to go take it off, it's distracting. You might not even see it as distracting. Like, oh, like boys are looking at me. You might just feel like. Some people are making fun of you at the same time if you're, like, we're just getting comfortable with your body. So, like, if that made any sense, kind of. Yeah, and then, like, also, like, I personally had a teacher who, when we would wear ripped jeans to math class, he wouldn't let us into the class because he would say that the holes in our pants were a distraction. So we would have to stand outside in the hallway and we weren't allowed in, especially for, like, the first, like, 20 minutes until, like, he'll get tired of us knocking on the door and he'll finally let us in, but we have to sit in the back of the class. And how do holes in jeans, like, do anything to anybody? Exactly. That's, that's and that, that just messes up your grades. And, and that's like, 20 minutes out of the class that you're not learning and the people who say have ripped jeans have that advantage on you. And then there's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think too, like these dress code policies, I think folks just think that they're in schools, but thinking about when all of you graduate, which is in a couple months, like what happens when you all graduate? Do you internalize these feelings and take them with you into the workplace? Mm -hmm. And like someone touched on earlier professionalism, I think you touched on it, uh, professionalism, like who makes the rules of professionalism? And who tells us that do rags are unprofessional? Like, where does that come from? Like, I'm posing a question for all y'all. Where, does, where does this term professionalism come from? But like, the crazy part is, is like, in a lot of work settings, especially since like I have a job, like, employers aren't supposed to judge you based off of like your hair. So do rags, that kind of goes towards like with your hair, like helping your hair. So when they argue saying that do rags aren't professional, it's like, well, in professional settings, they don't really judge us for our hair. So why are you guys judging us here at school? I believe it stems from like cultural superiority in the workplace where like Lila said, you have to have straight hair or it has to be in a certain way, you know, where you have this, these notions of how you should dress and how you should mm -hmm. look like. Mm -hmm. Especially like as a woman of color, like being told, oh, comb your hair out, it looks wild. And, or like someone else, one of my coworkers coming with what box sprays and then my boss was just like questioning, like, is that even hygienic? And what do you mean? Is that even hygienic? Box sprays are a thing. Like, so it's like different things like we gotta understand like also gearing towards the workplace I understand like even as a principal like I know we were talking about like different types of way of like activism so there's this thing called conformist activism where it's like the person who's trying to teach the young kids is like how to conform into society and be successful but why are we trying to conform to society that doesn't even want us there you know so I think we need to change that instead of just trying to be conform 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 but although it's yeah they are kind of setting us up to be successful in a white affluent like job. Do we really want to strive for that? Do we just want to just shut up and just take our paycheck at the end of the day? We want to change something, so, yeah. Is there anything y'all agree about the dress code? Like, maybe at your schools, like, you might think, okay, this might be a benefit to the dress code. I feel like there is a line, though, and I feel like most of the girls at our school know the line, but, like, some things are just too far. But, like, it's rare that any girl at any school probably would even get to the line, because at that point, I don't think they would feel comfortable. I mean, a girl, even if they do wear a tube top, they're usually having a jacket. It's not even, like, covering all the way, or they're, like, it's not like they're, like, really just, like, yeah. like showing their self off all the way. And it's, they're not even trying to show themselves so off. They're, they're really... Just, if we live in California, it's hot. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. 
And on top of that, it's like the policing of it is like we were just talking about they don't go hard on like guys as much as they do for girls. Because I know guys that come out of like football, like period one, they would come out with their shirts off and everything, walk through the halls, and then like they would even get a high five, like, oh, you did practicing, good job. But like, no, like policing, like, oh, you have your chest out, you're a distraction anything so I feel like there's like that's really sexist to me because it's like if I walk around without no shirt of course there's gonna be a problem so why can't we just treat it as the same thing so if we at least like be on the same level if you want to police this at least have the same levels for boys and girls if you know what I mean. Yeah because it'll be like I'm wearing a full-length spaghetti strap tank top and I'm walking down the hall and then I have security yelling at me when security's like 50 feet away from me mm -hmm. and it's like I and it's embarrassing too, because yeah, it's like in front of a lot of kids, like they're just like, hey, you're showing too much shoulder, it's like across yeah, the hall, and it's, and like, it's, it's like, I'm just trying to get to class, class, and it's like a spaghetti strap tank top, I'm not understanding why that's really such a big issue, like, it's shoulders. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you guys are fetishizing shoulders, mm -hmm. but it's like, mm -hmm. alright, and they're like, no, you need to put on a jacket, and it's like, well, like Brandon said, it's hot, it's Southern California, it's 98 mm -hmm. degrees outside. I don't want to put on a jacket because then I'm overheat and I'm not even going to want to be here. Uh, and it's like kind of changing that way like we think about each other too because there's several times where it's like I have wore like a strap tank top and then even kids that you're going to be like oh I see you're showing skin today like why is that even like a comment to make like of course they don't see it as problematic but if they see like adults telling kids like oh you're showing too much skin and if someone shows up like wearing like too much skin then of course that's going to be a comment or an area where you get fed shot that girl ass. So it's like then again perpetuating an unhealthy culture so yeah, I, I just want to feel you about that. And I hear y'all on that too. I think even I was I was that young girl in high school that people used to say, "What are you wearing?" or "Why are you half naked?" and all of those things. And I think even as I spoke about earlier, like internalizing that, like even as an educator now, I'm like, "Ooh, I gotta make sure I'm not showing anything, not wearing anything too tight. Um, make sure my shoulders are not out." So those are things that we actually take um, with us um, and and internalize that. So. Um, I feel y'all on that completely. If you had to make your own like dress codes, like what would where would your where would your dress codes be? If y'all were educators right now in schools, uh, say you're the principal of your school. Okay, sagging needs to get cut out because that's not cute. I don't think it's a fashion statement. I'm sorry. Like that just needs to stop. Like, would, at least chill out. I would say just like wear what makes you feel comfortable. Like yeah. if you're comfortable in it, if you could like if you could work in it, if it's not bothering you, then like. Go ahead, like go ahead and like wear it. Yeah, but take I back feel my like comment. If you're, comfortable, if you're comfortable, like your parents would see you and you're fine with that, then you're okay. Yeah, like that's another yeah. thing. Like if my mom and if like my mom and dad are okay with me walking out in a crop top and going to school and they don't say nothing about it, then an administrator at my school has no right to try to pull me aside and antagonize me for what I'm wearing. It's like if my parents let me walk out in this, then it is okay. If I'm feeling comfortable in it, then it is okay. Going back on my comment though, like, I'm gonna just take that back. Like, sadly, that's the way people like express themselves like creatively, and like I'm all, I'm 100 for that. I was just like kidding. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but over here, like, if you had to make your own dress code. Yeah, like going off of what Lula said, like if you're confident and if you're comfortable in it, you can do what you need to do at school, and there's like you're not distracting yourself and like worried about what you're wearing. At the end of the day, there shouldn't be a problem about it. Mm -hmm. Like my parents don't tell me anything when I leave the house. They don't tell me anything. If they would tell, if they would tell me something, then I'd be like, oh yeah, maybe. Like I'll think about it. I'll second guess it. But if they don't tell me anything, then I think there's no problem mm -hmm. if I feel comfortable in it. <laughs> it ain't no problem. It ain't no problem. It ain't no problem. <laughs> All right. So a lot of y'all touched on 
super important things that are not just in your schools, but in our society, like rape culture, like that's perpetrated through dress codes. And talking about like, my do-rag is a part of my culture. Why can't I wear my do-rag? Or why can't I sag? That's a part of me. Um, that's a part of how I want to express myself. Um, so y'all touched on super important things with dress codes in schools. Um, and I appreciate y'all, every single one of your opinions. Like I said, like, this, even something that affects me um, as a 26-year-old woman, I'm still thinking about my dress code. I'm like, I have my own dress code for myself, um, which I've taken from these policies within schools. So I appreciate every single one of your input. Um, and they're all very valid experiences and valid uh, opinions in general. So thank you. All right, folks, we have come to the end of our episode and it's time for today's Class Dismissed. And I have the distinct privilege of giving some serious props and recognition uh, to some folks who are a long ways away from us. We're going all the way across country to West Orange, New Jersey. This is yep. a suburban community just outside of the city of Newark. And uh, some of you probably remember that around mid-November, right before Thanksgiving, uh, the whole Mid-Atlantic and Northeast got blanketed with a big, uh, totally disruptive snowstorm. Right. So big nor'easter. And for us, um, you know, lightweight Californians out here, that means a big storm, lots of snow, roads shut down, hot mess, right? Um, but at a local middle school, this is Liberty Middle School in West Orange, New Jersey, uh, they ran into a bit of a crisis because the buses couldn't get to the school at the end of the day. So only four of 14 buses showed up. So they had about 200 students stuck at the school, right? Yeah. The whole town shut down. Nobody can move. And what happened? Uh, the principal, 25 teachers spent the night at the school with the kids. Um, oh. You'll see some some great pictures here. The, the Italian teacher cooking up dinner in the cafeteria. Nice. They brought the kids into the auditorium to watch some movies, uh, play games, and eventually had to lay out the gym mats so they could get like a few hours of sleep. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's just a really beautiful story. Um, a lot of times teachers do things that uh, that go way above and beyond and don't get recognized. And I just thought it was a beautiful story of folks rising to the occasion, putting the welfare of their students first. And um, props to our educators at Liberty Middle School in West Orange, New Jersey. And, um, you know, I hope my children someday have have teachers like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, my uh, sister lives right up the block from that middle school, like walking distance from that middle school. My nieces and nephew, they're still in elementary, but I, I believe that's the local middle school for them, I think. So I'm very, uh, very excited to know that there's such great educators at that, at that middle school. So that's um, super dope, super dope. Yeah, the principal kept them updated all night on Twitter with pictures so parents would know the kids were safe. Just, just a beautiful story. Nice, nice. All right, folks, so that does it for another episode of All of the Above. We want to thank Nadia Ehowari again for moderating that student discussion. And that was just part one of the student discussion. There's lots more, lots more to come. So please remember to hit that follow button, that subscribe button, so that you don't miss the rest of it. And thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.